The scripture for today is Luke 15, 11 through 24. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my, the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all there, arose among them a great famine, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed his swine. And there, for want, he filled his belly with the husks that the swine ate. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. This is the first Sunday of Lent. This is Pentecost in the Jewish faith right now. It has to do with the Holy Spirit. And it's a time of repentance. Um, I have, uh, as I prayed, I, I, I felt we needed to talk about during Lent being lost and found. And the Lord laid in my heart immediately this passage in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, um, which is about the lost son. Years ago, we used to call it the prodigal son. Everybody changed it. And in 40 years, they now call it something else. But it's still about the same biblical principles. Um, so I want to go to this passage and begin to, to look at it from the perspective of lost and found. Okay? okay? There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father... Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Let's stop there. In the, in the Jewish faith, the oldest son got the blessing of God and most of the property. And the second son got less than the first. There was only two in this family, it seems like. None, none other is mentioned. And the youngest, the youngest son received from his father money, property, and anything else the father wanted to give him. Land, anything. Cattle, sheep, pigs. No, they didn't have, Jewish people didn't have pigs, did they? Thank you. 
Okay? So, it says here that he got rid or disposed of all of his property except for the money. And he says, give me my share of my estate. And so he divided up his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all of his stuff together and set off for a distant country. That would be like he left here and went to Canada, or he left here and went to Mexico, or he left here and went to wherever he went to. They didn't have planes, so I'm thinking it was somewhere where he could ride a donkey or horse and or a cart and get there. And what he had with, with him on his person, because they did not have a transfer or Venmo or anything like that, or a, a debit card, he had to have it in cash, cold hard cash, and it probably was coins. Now I want I want to see a parable is a teaching by Jesus that is laid beside a truth so you can understand it better. Okay. A parable is a truth laid beside something so you can a truth so you can understand it. The Father is our Heavenly Father. You got that? The two sons are His children who have an intimate relationship with Him. The Father created this estate where they lived to take care of these sons so that they may learn how to work in the estate and be responsible individuals. This concept is is not clear in our society today. It's very rare that families do that. Praise God, most Christian families are able to do it. So this young man, somehow, someway, in his heart, decided he did not want to be in this environment that his father had created. And so he asked the father to give him his inheritance. And so he either so sold back to his father the property, the cattle, and took the money. And away he went to a new country. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had and set off to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with wild living. Do I need to explain that to you? Alcoholism, drunkenness, maybe drug addiction, opium was used back then. Wild women. We're not blaming women. He became a wild man. He entered into an environment that was godless. He left an environment that was godly. He chose to not listen to the principles that his father had set forth in his life to protect him and nurture him. He chose not to do that. He chose to do what he wanted to do and not do what was right. So when he went to the other country and he began to live this lifestyle that was without God's truth, 
he had backslidden or renounced the truth of God for the world. That's what this parable is about. That's what this parable is about. He had never experienced it, but he was tempted by it. And when he got involved in it, the temptation grew and expanded. Like it says in Ephesians 4, there was a continual lust for more and more of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it got worse and worse. It cost him more and more. And one day he reached his hand into the bottom of the bag to pull out some money to do some wild living, and it was empty. And he pulled it wrong side out and went like that, and there was nothing there. What's the lesson? You may think that what you like to do, the lesson is, you may think what you like to do is what you need to do, and you have the right to, but I'll tell you what, one day you will come to the end Listen to this. You will come to the end of what you are looking for and it will not be there. Everything will be empty. Then it says in verse 14, after a little time, everything was gone and there was a severe famine in the whole country. There is no A&P or what are some of the big sto- whole food stores? They, they didn't exist back then. You know that? There wasn't a Canaan 9 corner grocery. It doesn't exist. And the famine was so severe that the people who had planted crops to feed their family weren't growing, weren't producing. Nobody had any jobs. You couldn't go to the Acme Employment Agency. You couldn't go to the Virginia uh, where they pay out the welfare to you. It didn't exist. Just didn't exist. There was no thing, no, nowhere to go, nothing to do, except Find a job with a pig farmer. Okay? How would you... you know how bad it is? Listen to this. It was so bad that Jewish people had nothing to do with pigs. They could not touch pigs. They could not... It was against their teachings. And he had nothing to do except work with pigs. What's the most vile job that you could think of in your life? What do you think it was? For him, it was working with pigs. He was so hungry that he was willing to get into the pig trough and root around for the pods. And eat them that pigs had slobbered on and chewed on. Can you imagine being that hungry? Can you? I can't. I've never been that hungry. I've never been that hungry. 
he began to be in great need in verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He was a man of great wealth, and now he's being hired with this person. And he sent him to the field to feed his pigs. And he longed, longing means desire, to fill his stomach with, with the pods that the pigs were feeding. He said, no one, no one. You ever been in that shape? You didn't know anyone that could give him anything? No one had anything. When he came to his senses. Now, in verse 16, there's a change that happens in the young man. Okay. Now listen to what I'm saying. It's important. Change comes. This is the first step in repentance. He agrees what God is telling him that is true about himself. Look look at what happens. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I hear, I'm here starving to death. Somehow he knew that he could die. Okay? He said, I will go back to my father and I will say to my father. First thing is he realizes what God's telling him is true. The second thing, he understands the sin that is in his life. Let me tell you what. And this is... This is the, the hindrance to repentance. This, what I'm going to tell you is the hindrance. I can understand the theology of where I'm wrong. And I can say, yes, I'm wrong about my life. And I shouldn't do this. But, but most of us do not go where he went next. Because he said... Uh, he said... I will say to my father, God, who's, who's revealed to him his sin. He will say, I have sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. Will you forgive me? Now, he doesn't say it here, but he will later. Most of us don't go there. We just say, oh, I know Jesus as my Savior. And because I know my Jesus is my Savior, then I'm okay. It's because I believe God's sovereign and he'll take care of it. No, God is sovereign, but he's a relational God. He's a gentleman. He will not intrude into your life unless you invite him to come into your life and be a participant of what's going on in your life. So you can academically, intellectually understand your weaknesses and shortcomings and your sins. But if you do not do what this man did, I have sinned against you, Father, and against heaven. If you do not do that, God will stand back here waiting to hear that. Amen.
He will not intrude in you because the intimacy of the righteousness of God is predicated on your ability to confess what God is knowing is true about you. If you're unwilling out of stubbornness and pride to ask for forgiveness, unwilling to do that, he will not do anything because he is a holy God and he cannot come near me without repentance. Did you hear that? He, he's not going to come near you without repentance. He just will not do it. Verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called my son. What does he do? He understands his position in this situation due to his sinful behavior. He understands his position in the situation due to his sinful behavior. I am no longer worthy to be called God's son. He's willing to give up his position to meet his need. Are you? Are you willing to give up your pride and your arrogance? Are you willing to give up your position? And become humble and submit yourself to the Father? Are you willing? If you were willing, there would be a great deal more repentance in your life. And the righteousness of God would draw nearer and nearer to you. He said, just make me one of your hired servants. I'm, how about you? I'm just a field hand for, for the Lord. That's all I am. I'm nothing great. God has called me to sit here and teach you and preach and minister to you. He's called me to do that. But I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I don't deserve a jet. Or accolades. Or a book contract? Or a large bank account? It is not due to me, those issues. All I am is a servant of God. All you are are a disciple of Christ. But you will even lose that position without confession. So he got up, and what did he do? He went to his father. He probably rode on a fine horse to get there. He probably had a nice robe. He did have a nice robe. He probably looked like a person who was of great esteem, and he probably rode when he was going to this country beside people that were going and leaving that country who were in rags, just like he was now. He was in rags. He was hungry. He was weak. He did not know if he would have enough strength to make it back to his country and then find his father. 
and fall on his knees and ask his forgiveness. So you have confession. You have the realization of the sin. You confess that sin to the Father which agrees with you. And then you go and make right what was made wrong. That's another thing the church doesn't do anymore. It doesn't make things right. Somebody said to me one time, how do I know I'll be able to trust this husband or wife? How do I know that I'll be able to trust this child? When your child or your husband or your wife comes to you on their knees and said, I have sinned against you. I have hurt you. I have caused pain in your life. Will you please forgive me? Knowing they don't deserve it. We raise our children to be arrogant. Prideful. Is what we do. It's what we do. Now we shift the scene in verse, um, the second half of verse 20. And the father is out in the field. I don't know what he raised and I don't know what he did. He may have been tending sheep or goats or, or he may have been in the field, uh, in the vineyard. I don't, I don't know what he did. This young man, I don't know how long it took him to go clear through all of his money. But, but here's the father. If I fall down, Andy will pick me up. Here's the father. Every day that boy was gone. And he was out in the field doing whatever he did. He looked at the horizon where he saw his son leave. And he was looking for him to come back. Your heavenly father. He looks for you every day. Every day he looks for you. To come over that horizon into his presence. Because he loves you and misses you. A lot of people would have went the other way. The different direction. But he looked every day. And even though he was a far way off, that means he looked up and he saw this figure. And he looked at that figure and he thought, is that my son? He said, no, that's not him. (coughs) He went back to work. He looked and he dug a little bit and he looked up a little bit further and he looked back and he was a little bit closer. And he recognized the gait of his child. God knows how you walk. God knows everything about you. And he knew that was who it was. Now listen to this. This is so powerful. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. 
your heavenly Father, even though we walk in sin and do not confess to him, he still lives in complete and total compassion for us, even though we do what we want to. Amen. Filled with his compassion. Look, he ran to his son. Why does it say he ran to him? That boy was starving to death. That's what it says in the scripture. And he had little or no strength. And he may have tried to hurry up his walk, but he couldn't. But the father... <coughs> ran after him. The father doesn't know what's going to happen. The father has no idea what's going on in the, in the young man's heart. The father had no concept of what was coming, but he knew that he loved his son and he wanted him to know that he loved him. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. Tell you what, I hate the enemy Satan himself, because he would tell people, your father doesn't love you because you sinned. He'll say you're nothing. He won't have anything to do with you. He'll ignore you. I know what the enemy says. I've heard his voice before. If you don't deal with him, if you don't command his lies away from you, he will control and manipulate you. You know that? He will. He's dastardly. Satan doesn't care what the enemy says. He loved him. And he kissed him. He threw his arms around him. Before the father could say anything to him, the turning a different direction Repentance is turning and going a different way. His behavior was, I want to do what I want to do, Dad. I don't care about what you want me to do. I want to do what I want to do. Give me all the money that belongs to me so that I can go live my life in the way that I think it's going to be best. But then there comes in repentance a turning. A turning. And here it happens. The son said to him... Father, there's none of this. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. There is a depth in this, in this confession that changes the mortal soul of a human being. It affects the mind, the soul, and the will. It penetrates the very core of this man to where there is nothing that can keep him from becoming not what he wants to be, <coughs> but what God wants him to be, what his father wants him to be. The father is not demanding anything. Look at this. He doesn't demand anything of this boy. He says, Father, I've sinned against you, heaven, and you. I am no longer worthy. Be your son. We're not. Paul said he's a wretched man. 
But the father said to the servants, he didn't even speak to the boy. He said, quick! He saw the change. He saw the repentance. He heard it from his voice or from his mouth. And he says, bring not a robe, the best robe. The robe that was better than the one he wore when he left. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. It's a signet ring. He's probably sold it. He had it when he left. And it, it, it was the kind of ring that said he belonged to his family. And he, had, he said, bring the ring and put it on his finger so that everybody will know he is my son. That's where I want to be. Oh, sure, we, we stray. But when we come back in repentance... He puts, he puts it in her finger. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. You were birthed not out of the will of man, but out of the will of God. That's what he's saying. And put sandals on his feet. His feet were probably cut and bruised and bleeding. He didn't ask him if he was hungry. My mother was like this guy. I'd walk in the door and she'd say, you want to eat? Got cheeseburgers. Wouldn't she? She'd say, I'll fix you a cheeseburger. You don't remember that? Jeannie says, of course she said that. Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. If you're living in unrepentant sin, if you're living in a sin where you decide, like you're critical, you're, you're complaining, you, you're lying, you're doing something you should not do because you want to do it, if you're living in that kind of sin and you repent of that kind of sin and come to the Father and he does all that for you and then he says this, he announces this. This parable, he says, he announces something. Look, for this, is, this son of mine was dead. And is now alive again. Now we could go and talk about theology. But my friends look at that statement. That Jesus says with his mouth. He says he was dead. That means there was no life in him. But now he's alive again. You can't mess that up. Only a scholar can mess that up. He was lost, and now he's found. Remember, remember, Jesus said, if you have 99 and one has gone astray, he said, leave the 99 and go find the one. That's, who's, that's God's nature. And so they began to celebrate. There's another part of the parable. I 
It has to do with other things. But this is the initial part that teaches repentance. This is Lent. I command you as disciples of Christ today to spend the rest of Lent asking Jesus, asking Jesus, don't evaluate yourself. Do not evaluate yourself. Say, Holy Spirit, tell me where I am sinning and teach me how to repent. I want you to spend the rest of Lent doing that. Years ago, I can remember going to church and say, well, I'm going to give up sugar for Lent. Well, big hairy deal. I'm going to give up sweets. I'm going to give up cheeseburgers. I'll tell you what, me eating cheeseburgers will not get me into heaven, I'll tell you that. Or not eating them. I'm giving up sodas, they're bad for you. You know what's worse for you? It's sin. It has death in it. I see I could go on. Next week this will be continued.